Chapter Two of the Romantic by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Two. She stood at the five roads, swinging her stick, undecided. The long line of the beeches drew her; their heads bowed to the north as a south wind had driven them. The blue-white road drew her, rising, dipping, and rising between broad green borders under grey walls she walked she could feel joy breaking loose in her again beating up and up provoked and appeased by the strong quick movement of her body the joy she had gone to her lover for the pure joy he couldn't give her coming back out of the time before she knew him nothing mattered when your body was light and hard and you could feel the ripple and thrill of the muscles in your stride she wouldn't have to think of him again she wouldn't have to think of any other man she didn't want any more of that again ever she could go on and on like this by herself without even gwinnie not caring a damn if she had been cruel if she had wanted to hurt effie she hadn't meant to hurt her she thought of things places she had been happy in she loved the high open country fancy sitting with gibson in his stuffy office day after day for five years fancy going to glasgow with him glasgow no no she thought i can pretend it didn't happen nothing's happened i'm myself the same me i was before suddenly she stood still on the top of the ridge the whole sky opened throbbing with light immense as the sky above a plain hills thousands of hills thousands of smooth curves joining and parting overlapping rolling together what did you want what did you want how could you want anything but this forever across the green field she saw the farm tall long-skirted elms standing up in a row before the sallow ricks and long grey barns under the loaded droop of green a grey sharp-pointed gable topped by a stone ball four scotch firs beside it slender and strange she stood leaning over the white gate looking and thinking funny things colts grazing short bodies that stopped at their shoulders long long necks hanging down like tails pushing their heads along the ground she could hear their nostrils breathing and the scrinch scrinch of their teeth tearing the grass you could be happy living on a farm looking after the animals you could learn farming people paid suddenly she knew what she would do she would do that it wasn't reasonable to go on sitting in a stuffy office doing work you hated when you could pack up and go she couldn't have stuck to it for five years if it hadn't been for gibson falling in love with him the most unreasonable thing of all she didn't care if you had to pay to learn farming you had to pay for everything you learned there were the two hundred pounds poor dear daddy left doing nothing she could pay she would go down to the farm now this minute and see if they would take her as she crossed the field she heard the farmyard gate open and shut the man came up towards her in the narrow path he was looking at her as he came tilting his head back to get her clear into his eyes under the shade of his slouched hat she called to him is this your farm and he halted he smiled the narrow smile of small fine lips with a queer winged movement of the moustache a flutter of dark down she saw his eyes hard and keen dark blue like the blade of a new knife no i wish it was my farm why she could see now it wasn't he was out tramping 
the corner of a knapsack bulged over his right shoulder rough greenish coat and stockings dust-coloured riding breeches but there was something about him something tall and distant slender and strange like the fir-trees because whoever's farm it is i want to see him you won't see him there isn't anybody there oh he lingered do you know who he is she said no i don't know anything i don't even know where i am but i hope it's borton on the hill i'm afraid it isn't it's stowe on the wold he laughed and shifted his knapsack to his left shoulder and held up his chin his eyes slewed round raking the horizon it's all right she said you can get to borton on the hill i'll show you she pointed you see where that clump of trees is like a battleship sailing over a green hill that's about where it is thanks i've been trying to get there all afternoon where have you come from stanway the other side of that ridge you should have kept along the top you've come miles out of your way i like going out of my way i did it for fun for the adventure you could see he was innocent and happy like a child she turned and went with him up the field she wouldn't go to borton on the hill she would go back to the hotel and see whether there was a wire for her from gwinnie he liked going out of his way i suppose he said there's something the other side of that gate i hate to tell you there's a road there it's your way the end of the adventure he laughed again showing small white teeth this time the gate fell too with a thud and a click what do i do now you go north straight ahead turn down the fifth or sixth lane on your right you'll see the signpost then the first lane on your left that'll bring you out on the top of the hill thanks thanks most awfully he raised his hat backing from her holding her in his eyes till he turned he would be out of sight now at the pace he was going his young slender skimming stride she stood on the top of the rise and looked round he was halting down there at the bend by the grey cone of the lime-kiln under the ash-tree he had turned and had his face towards her above his head the battleship sailed on its green field he began to come back slowly as if he were looking for something dropped on his path then suddenly he stopped turned again and was gone there was no wire from gwinnie she had waited a week now she wondered how long it would be before gwinnie's mother's lumbago gave in and let her go she knew it by heart now the long narrow coffee-room of the hotel the draped chimney-piece and little oblong gilt-framed mirror at one end at the other the bowed window looking west onto the ash-tree and the fields the two straight windows between looking south onto the street tonight the long table down the middle was set with a white cloth the family from birmingham had come father and mother absurd powder pigeons swelling and strutting two putty-faced unmarried daughters sulking one married one pink and proper and the son-in-law sharp-eyed and bald-headed from their table in the centre they stared at her where she dined by herself at her table in the bow two days she didn't think she could bear it one day more she could see herself as she came down the room her knitted silk sports coat bright petunia flaming thick black squares of her bobbed hair hanging over eyebrows and ears and behind the four women's heads turning on fat necks to look at her reflected gwinnie's letter was there stuck up on the mantelpiece gwinnie could come at the weekend. she implored her to hang on for five days longer 
not to leave stow on the wold till they could see it together a letter from gibson repeating himself the family from birmingham were going through the door fat faces straining furtively if they knew if they only knew she stood reading she heard the door shut she could look in the glass now and amuse herself by the sight they had stared at the white face raised on the strong neck and shoulders soft white nose too thick at the nuzzling tip brown eyes straight and wide open deep grooved clear-cut eyelids heavy lashes clear-cut arches moulded corners brooding her eyes and her mouth she could see they were strange she could see they were beautiful and herself her mysterious her secret self charlotte redhead it had been secret and mysterious to itself once before she knew she didn't want to be secret and mysterious of all things she hated secrecy and mystery she would tell gwinnie about gibson herbert when she came she would have to tell her down at the end of the looking-glass picture behind her the bow-window and the slender back of a man standing there she had got him clear by this time if he went to-morrow he would stay moving about forever in your mind the young body alert and energetic slender gestures of hands the small imperious head carried high the spare oval face with a straight jutting pointed chin honey-white face thin dusk and bister of eyelids and hollow temples and the roots of the hair its look of being winged lifted up ready to start off on an adventure hair brushed back in two sleek dark wings the straight slender nose with the close upward wings of its nostrils it wasn't roman after all under it the winged flutter of his mouth when he smiled black eyebrows almost meeting the outer ends curling up queerly like little moustaches and always the hard blue knife-blade eyes she knew his name the first day he had told her conway john roden conway the family from birmingham had frightened him so he sat at her table in the bow they talked about places 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 they had seen and hadn't seen places they wanted to see and the ways you could get to places he trusted to luck he risked things he was out he said for risk she steered by the sun by instinct by the map in her head she remembered but you could buy maps he bought one the next day they went for long walks together she found out the field paths and they talked long innocent conversations he told her about himself he came from coventry his father was a motor-car manufacturer that was why he liked tramping she told him she was going to learn farming you could be happy all day long looking after animals swinging up on the big bare backs of cart horses and riding them to water milking cows and feeding calves and lambs when their mothers were dead they would run to you then and climb into your lap and sit there sucking your fingers as they came in and went out together the family from birmingham glared at them did you see how they glared do you mind he said not a bit no more do i it doesn't matter what people like that do their souls are horrible they leave a glary trail everywhere they go if they were dead stretched out on their deathbeds you'd see their souls like long fat white slugs stretched out too glued to their bodies you know what they think they think we met each other on purpose they think we're engaged i don't care she said it doesn't matter what they think 
They laughed at the silliness of the family from Birmingham. He had been there five days. I say, Gwinnie's voice drawled in slow, meditative surprise. The brooding curiosity had gone out of her face. Gwinnie's face, soft and schoolgirlish, between the fawn gold bands and plaited ear bosses of her hair, the pink pushed out mouth, the little routing nose, the thick grey eyes suddenly turned on you staring. Gwinnie had climbed up onto the bed to hear about it. She sat hunched up with her arms round her knees, rocking herself on the end of her spine, and though she stared, she still rocked. She was happy and excited because of her holiday. It can't make any difference, Gwyn. I'm the same Charlotte. Don't tell me you didn't know I was like that. Of course I knew it. I know a jolly lot more than you think, kid. I'm not a kid, if you are two years older. Why, you're not twenty-four yet. It's the silliness of it beats me, going off like that with the first silly cuckoo that turns up. He wasn't the first that turned up, I mean. He was the third that counted. There was poor Binky, the man I was engaged to, and Dicky Rakes, he wanted me to go to Mexico with him, just for a lark, and I wouldn't. And George Corfield, he wanted me to marry him, and I wouldn't. Why didn't you? Because Dicky's always funny when you want to be serious, and George is always serious when you want to be funny. Besides, he's so good. His goodness would have been too much for me altogether. Fancy beginning with George. This seems to have been a pretty rotten beginning, anyway. The beginning was all right. It's the end that's rotten. The really awful thing was Effie. Look here. Gwinnie left off rocking and swung herself to the edge of the bed. Her face looked suddenly mature and full of wisdom. I don't believe in that Effie business. You want to think you stopped it because of Effie, but you didn't. You've got to see it straight. It was his lying and funking that finished you. He fixed on the two things you can't stand. The two things, the two things. I know what you want. You want to kill him in my mind so that I shan't think of him any more. I'm not thinking. I only wanted you to know. Does anybody else know? She shook her head. Well, don't you let them. Gwinnie slid to her feet and went to the looking-glass. She stood there a minute, pinning closer the crushed bosses of her hair. Then she turned. What are you going to do with that walking tour, Johnny? John Conway? You couldn't do anything with him if you tried. He's miles beyond all that. All what? The rotten things people do. The rotten things they think. You're safe with him, Gwinnie. Safe. Safe. You've only to look at him. I have looked at him. Whatever you do, don't tell him, Charlie. End of chapter 2 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine